Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a Dude Studios production. And hey, I'm the dude. Welcome back to Hey Bartender Podcast. Today's podcast, I will be interviewing Daniel Caveney. Hopefully I said that right. He I spelled it out phonetically when he told me how to pronounce it. But uh, he is also known as Las Vegas Dot Bartender on Instagram. This guy is really cool. He has a whole bunch of great stories and a whole bunch of information that you guys are going to love. So sit back, relax, enjoy the podcast. And Laura Hope in the Arc Tones, would you please get us started? Start off the show. Basically, I uh, all I just do is say, "Welcome, Daniel, and uh, welcome to the show." Uh, thank you for taking some time off to be uh, being on this, being on my podcast. Well, we've already talked about this before we hit record, but look, go ahead and tell everybody how you're doing. <laughs> hey, I'm doing pretty good. Um, it, yeah, I started my career in Vegas uh, when probably in my mid twenties. I was bartending on the Las Vegas Strip. I'm 41 now. Mm. Um, but last year in 29 or two years ago in 2019, I became a sales rep in Las Vegas. And then this past October, I actually moved my whole family to a little small town in Kentucky to try to slow life down a little bit. Uh, you said, uh, before we started recording that you moved, uh, to Kentucky to be a little bit closer to whiskey. And, uh, I'm sorry the people on the podcast won't be able to see it, but I can see you have a very impressive collection behind you. Yes. Extremely <laughs> yeah, impressive little- actually. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little bit of a whiskey hunter. Um, I, I mean, the other side of it is just everything else, all the gin, vodka, liqueurs, you know, everything else that you could possibly think of. Oh, cool. Yeah, you got that uh, home bar that everybody dreams about making, putting in their home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like I told you before, we like to start off the show with a drink special, and if you would please give us uh, a drink that you like to make or uh, something that you've made on your own. Is is it original? So uh, I typically uh, go for drinks that don't make too many dishes, uh, that it's easy to make at home, uh, and that are pretty strong. And one of my favorites right now is called the Boulevardier. It's actually a riff on the Negroni. Um, so instead, you take the gin, you swap out the gin for bourbon. So it's uh, one ounce of each, bourbon, Campari, and sweet vermouth. And you just stir that, pour it over ice, uh, garnish with a, an orange peel. What kind of flavor do you get from that? It's a bitter flavor. So uh, a lot of palates aren't really acclimated to the bitter taste. But like they say, you got to try Campari at least five times before your taste buds really enjoy it. And <laughs> believe me, when, once you start enjoying Campari, it's really a roller coaster all the way down. Yeah. Um, it, uh, Campari, that's uh, uh, brewed in... I know. Uh, that uh, That's brewed in uh, uh, Illinois, isn't it? Italy. Italy. Okay. Uh, Yes, it's an Italian okay, I'm, uh, aperitif. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of something completely different. Then I'm sorry. Oh, but, you're thinking of 
Malort. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, the, yeah, that stuff is uh, a different level, level of uh, bitter. <laughs> yeah, I had some guests on my show uh, some time ago, and they talked about Malort, and they said it's, it's an acquired taste, something you uh, give somebody, for instance, their first drink on a 21 run or something like that. Yeah, that, that's putting it nicely, being an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what was the name of the drink again? Uh, a Boulevardier. Okay, so if anybody out there tries uh, tries to make it and serves it to their customers, let us know. Uh, you can let me know through Instagram, uh, Hey Bartender Podcast, or your Instagram, which is uh, Las Vegas Bartender. And, Las Vegas dot Bartender. I'm sorry, but uh, Las Vegas dot Bartender, and uh, let us know what you think of the drink. Because uh, if you're sounds like if you're into really into whiskey, which you seem to be, it's probably yeah. really good. Yes. No, it's absolutely delicious. It has a lot of complex flavors that come about. Um, my second favorite is, of course, the old-fashioned. It's real simple. You know, sugar bitters, whiskey, over ice, you're fine, you're done. Um, yeah. But this is the other one I tend to go to a lot. Uh, 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 off, uh, well, it goes along with the subject. When, uh, when I went to uh, uh, bartending school, they, uh, mm-hmm. they gave us a – you know, they teach you like 50 drinks – you're guaranteed to remember about eight or nine of them when you graduate. But <laughs> yeah. uh, when I went out for the first time after learning about all these drinks, because I basically knew nothing about, you know, even, I was 21 and basically knew nothing about alcohol or anything like that. Uh, mm. I decided to try an old fashioned just because of its history and all that stuff. And the first one I got, the guy didn't have any oranges to muddle into the drinks. And so he thought a substitution would be orange juice. And to this day, I still think that was a bad idea. Oh, man, you, you just said so many bad things in that, <laughs> as far as the cocktail goes. Um, I, I'm very classic and very particular about my old fashions. Mm. Um, number one, the original old fashioned never had anything muddled in it whatsoever. Oh, really? Um, the original definition of an old fashioned is just spirit, sugar, bitters, and water. Okay. So that means you can substitute whiskey for rum, for tequila, for any spirit that you want. The sugar, it could be a liqueur, it could be demineur syrup, it could be any type of sweetener that you want. And then your bitters, I mean, there are 10,000 bitters out there. I mean, it just depends on what your flavor of choice would be that night. Right. Um, you stir those together, again, pour over fresh ice, and you got, you got an old-fashioned that's curated to your palate. Um, somewhere around the nineties, when all those sweet drinks were coming out is when people started muddling all those cherries and oranges in it. Yeah. And it's what I like to call and what I've learned from Las Vegas is called the Wisconsin old fashioned. Uh, the people in Wisconsin actually always have a muddled cherry and orange in their old fashions. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, uh, how Long Island iced tea changed when it reached Texas. All of a sudden people were adding tequila to it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, well, tequila's always been in it, though. Um, it's five whites, so it's rum, tequila, gin, vodka, and triple sec, so five whites with a little sweet and sour and a splash of Coke. Yeah, I've heard, uh, probably like you, I've pr- I've heard like dozens of different takes on that. So <laughs> some people say no, I, it started out with right. just vodka, gin, rum, triple sec in, uh, in Long Island, New York, and when it reached Texas, they started adding... T- tequila to it 
that okay but different stories you know uh, it's kind of like yeah. playing the telephone game sometimes <laughs> oh especially with alcohol i mean i mean as you go down the line and as old story goes it, it, you know it's like a fish story the story gets bigger and better as you go along of course <laughs> so we, um you said you started bartending when you were 20 in las vegas oh boy it goes even further back i i started pulling my first beer when I was 18 in Boston, actually at the union oyster house. It's the oldest restaurant in America, right next to Faneuil hall marketplace. Oh, um, you only need to be 18 to actually serve in Boston. Mm. Um, I didn't really get geeky into cocktails until about 2012. And, uh, that's when my original casino closed and I transferred to Caesar's palace. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined a national group called the United States Bartenders Guild, which kind of pushes people and does a lot of cocktail competitions. And I'm not talking about the flipping bottles and everything. It, it's real cocktail competitions on flavor and quality of the cocktail. Yeah, they just finished and, their uh, competition a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was never really good enough to actually uh, win any of those competitions or even, you know, be a face on the competition board as a finalist or anything. But I mean, it just pushed me further and kind of pushed my flavors and quality of drinks that I put out. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, so did you start bartending in Boston or did you get behind the bar when you moved to Las Vegas? No, I started bartending when I was in Boston. Okay. So it all started very organically. I worked for I worked for a restaurant, and I, I started as the porter. I was just bringing in all the orders, you know, fill, you know, cleaning the kitchen and that kind of thing, and then worked my way into prep book, and I worked the entire line. Um, I was going to culinary school at the time, so it kind of inspired me to work through the kitchen. Well, then a, a busboy called out, so I started bussing tables in the front of the house. So a bar back called out, and I started bringing up beer from the basement. The bartender called out, and, well, there you go, I'm, I'm bartending now. <laughs> uh, that seems to be the way everybody seems to step up in the restaurant industry because I yeah. did the same thing. I mean, I, I was a dishwasher at one point, and then all of a sudden I'm setting up the salad bar and then, you know, just keep kept and going upwards. I've, uh, I've always told people, you know, that's the best way to learn the bar is by growing out from underneath. If you want to go to bartending school and think you're going to be an all-star somewhere, it's not really going to work out. No, it doesn't really. Uh, I no. mean, <laughs> I uh, when I went to bar uh, when I graduated from bartending bartending school, uh, they had job placement assistants. But then I'd go to these places mm-hmm. where they told me, "Yeah, go apply here." And then they I go through the interview process, and then they all of a sudden they say, "You know what? We're looking for somebody with more experience." And I'm yes. like, "Then why did you call the bartending school?" And you know, thanks for wasting my time. You know, <laughs> yeah. But through, yeah, no, I, I mean, I get that question a lot. What bartending school did you go to? What to? Now, granted, I have gone through a lot of bartending schools, but that's just to reinforce my knowledge. Mm-hmm. But as far as working and your working knowledge of a bar, you've really got to start at the bottom. Right. Because um, uh, probably the most, in my opinion, probably the most important thing you got to learn before becoming a bartender is customer service. Absolutely. And they can't. My my teacher at my bartending school, she admitted full on that she could spend a week teaching customer service, but they didn't give her that amount of time. And but that was the most important thing that she wanted us to take away from there. You know, learn five or six drinks, you'll be fine. But this is what I want you to learn: the sound of ice shaking inside an empty glass, and, and things like that. 
That was really nice of her. I never had anyone tell me that. I always had the employers, you know, and the bartenders, you know, tell me that I'm, you know, a POS and I really don't know anything, you know, and I had to learn the hard way, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, my teacher, she was a very long, uh, uh, had been a bartender for a very long time before she became an instructor. In fact, she was a bartender in Vegas for quite a while before, uh, and that before she moved to Oregon and then bartended around there for a while. But, uh, yeah, she, I would, I felt like I was lucky to have her as an instructor just because of her, uh, knowledge, uh, and her, she wanted to concentrate on customer service, but the school's were, uh, mostly wanted to concentrate on, you know, just show them some drinks, send them out, you know, so can I ask what school it was? Was it a national school of any sort or was it just a local? It was a local uh, bartending academy in uh, Portland, Oregon. Okay. I'm, I'm not even sure no. if they exist anymore. But One of my one of the first schools I took, which was actually a really great school, was ABC Bartending. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a national bartending school all across everywhere. Um, and they truly taught me how to pour and how to act behind a bar. Um, all the other schools I've taken were really advanced classes and goes into the history and, you know, all the stories behind all the liquors and all that. Um, but to get my feet wet and actually know how to count and know how to pour, it came from both culinary school and that ABC bartending class. Cool. Uh, ABC bartending class. I don't think I've ever heard of that, but it it is a national, it's a national school. Um, I think it's based in Florida, but they have one pretty much in a lot of cities across the U.S. Yeah, I uh, I interviewed a guy who was uh, owner of a bartending school in New Jersey, uh, and I mentioned the same thing to him about teaching customer service, and his take on it was during your pour test, you know, you had to pour a certain amount of drinks in a certain amount of time, they have people going, come on, I, I want my rum and coke, or, you know, where's that yeah. martini? Uh, that's That's what he, his decision on how to, uh, teach the kids about customer service. Yeah, no, and it's more than just customer service. It's, it's basically dealing with people and being able to have a great conversation with somebody the entire time that you're actually working. I, agree. I would say bartending is 90% people and 10% knowing your drinks. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, uh, even during my bartending days, I had to talk my, uh, I had to talk with people whether I wanted to or not, but majority of the <laughs> yeah. drinks majority of the drinks were just a mixer and a spirit. That's it. And, you know, and, and, and I mean, even in Vegas, I mean, that, that was the majority of the drinks I made. It, it was that one in 10 customer that actually wanted, you know, something fancy or knew that I knew what I was doing behind the bar, you know, but <laughs> 90% of the time it was either a beer and a shot or some sort of mixed drink, you know, rum and Coke or, you know, bog tonic or whatever. Right. So, uh, you started off in Boston. What made you go out to Las Vegas? So I graduated from Johnson & Wales University, which is a culinary school in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, with a bachelor's in culinary arts. Wow, you've moved around Um, a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So I I went, well, I mean, Providence was only 30 minutes away from where I lived in, in, because I didn't actually live in Boston. I lived in the suburbs, kind of near Foxborough Stadium, Mm. where the Patriots play down there. So it's kind of like right halfway between Boston and Providence. Oh, okay. So it was really only like a half hour drive for me. And uh, I got accepted to that culinary school the junior year of my uh, high school career. So it was, uh, it was a real easy decision for me. Um, I met a girl, and she got an internship in Vegas, and I kind of just shrugged her shoulders and said, hey, can I follow you? And 
I started a brand new life in 2003. Yeah. Uh, with this girl that I had wasn't even really dating. Now we're married. We we have a family. We have a dog. You <laughs> oh, know, that's it, awesome. It's really worked out. Yeah. So I mean, I've been with her since 2003. At the end of 2003, just about. So. Well, that's awesome. That's cool. um, yeah. yeah. But, that, that, so yeah, I mean, we bounced around a whole bunch. Because of COVID, Vegas kind of died at the time, and we felt like we needed change, and we wanted to slow life down a little bit, and we moved to a small town in Kentucky, and, you know, it's it's been nice and quiet now. <laughs> well, truth being told, uh, because of the, your, the name of your uh, Instagram po- profile, I uh, wanted to ask a few questions about being a bartender in Vegas, uh, mm-hmm. just because I go to I go to Vegas once in a while, and... Uh, yeah. Although I honest, uh, be honest to my listeners and you right now, I don't drink. Uh, it's a once great once in a while thing, but good for you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is one of the worst things that you can do to your body. It, I, I still love it though. <laughs> uh, I've thought of worse, uh, even or at least along the same lines of doing things to my body, but that's anyway. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. Get, get past that. But, um, now. Uh, how difficult was it to get behind a bar in Las Vegas? Um, it, you know, my first bartending job in Vegas, I actually, I mean, I had done probably two or three years of management when I first got to Vegas. Cause I mean, I had my degree, I, I should do better and all, you know, and then I realized that in Vegas bartenders are unionized out there and they pay very well and you get very good health benefits and vacation time and all that. So I'm like, you know what? forget this management stuff. Let me, let me go get the good stuff. And I applied at a little casino called Bill's gambling hall and saloon. It's closed down. Now it's now the Cromwell that's just across the street from the Caesars palace. It's a small little boutique hotel now. Yeah. I, I've, time was, I've walked down the strip uh, many times and I've never, I don't think I can ever recall it, but <laughs> it it's right next to the Tropicana um, right between, right, right up at that corner of, uh, Las Vegas Boulevard and the Flamingo. Okay. I know um, the area. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It's right next to the Flamingo, <laughs> right on the street, but it, it's a small little hotel and I had applied. And at the time they weren't doing all these online applications or anything. It was a written out, you know, kind of application. And my application was in there for a few weeks. And again, being a small boutique, whatever, I go down there and, um, I find out that my application has been sitting on the manager's desk for a couple of weeks. So I marched my ass down there. I called the manager on the house phone and I said, Hey, my application's on your desk. Can we talk about it? So she said, yeah, come on down the hallway. And I came right down the hallway and I talked with her for probably about 20 minutes. And, uh, she offered me a bar backing job. And, uh, that's just kind of how it started. You know, it, I, I, I walk the walk kind of thing, you know? Is it common uh, for jobs in Las Vegas uh, to be a bartender? Do you have to be a bar back for a little while? Uh, in the union, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to be a union bartender, typically you do have to start as a bar back and work your way up. But, I mean, even nowadays, they, they recommend if you don't have any experience to work as a bar porter and then work your way up to bar back and then to bartender, which... I think it's ridiculous depending on your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but the union does usually require you to be a bar back before you become a bartender. Oh, okay. So, uh, how long, did, uh, how long did that take for you to go from bar back 
to working behind the bar? Probably about three years. Three years? Uh, yeah, two or three years. Mm-hmm. I was a bar back. Um, and I mean, I've made great money as a bar back. I had some really great bartenders and I worked some really great bars in that hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, I was probably making more than I was on some bartender shifts out there. <laughs> um, I, I, I got really lucky with the place I was at. It, it's funny because you, you never know how well you are until you leave the place. Right. And thinking back, it, that was one of the best jobs I ever had. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, when I watch the bartenders do their thing in Las Vegas, um, truthfully, I go to the more touristy places just because I don't know any better. But mm-hmm. uh, I watch these bartenders, and sure, they're like one of the bars that are in on the islands in the middle of a sea of uh, slot machines. It always seems mm-hmm. like they don't have a lot of people walking up to the bar or sitting at the bar, but the waitresses are constantly... Uh, cocktail waitresses are constantly going up, uh, up to them and out, up and out. But um, is there a lot of business there or um, at the uh, working at the bar? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, it it always depends on what shift, what bar, what location, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the, in the union in Vegas, there are front front of the house bartenders and back of the house bartenders. So it's back of the house bartenders are the ones that make all the drinks for all the cocktail waitresses. They never have to talk to a customer, nothing like that. They pour all their drinks pretty much from a liquor gun. Mm. You got three liquor guns, all with measured pours, everything from gray goose to the, the cheapest of the cheap vodka that they put on there. Yeah. And you know, you want a vodka tonic, you press vodka, and press the tonic in a glass. The girls already have the glass filled with ice, and it's bang and go. You know, it, it, it's just a robot kind of position. I never liked that because I like the bartender-customer kind of relation, you know? Yeah, it's almost, yeah, like you said, it's very robotic, and it's, uh, you just, do you, did you have to wait for a ticket to print out, or did they just walk up to you and say three vodka crayons? Two- it depended. Yeah. It, it really depended on the hotel. So, some hotels did have tickets print. Um, some hotels did not. Um, I grew I mean, I was really early on in the whole Vegas bartending thing back in the early 2000 or mid to late 2000s. So we didn't have too much tickets. We didn't have too much regulation. We just kind of served the girls and go, you know, they, they call a system and they call their drinks in a certain order. And, uh, we, huh. Well, for those of you playing the Hey Bartender podcast home game, this is what we call a snafu. Uh, Right at this point in the podcast, he lost signal on his cell phone. So I'm just going to take a second here to remind you guys to go to heybartenderpodcast.com. You can check out new episodes there. You can check out old episodes there. You can even pick up yourself a Hey Bartender podcast t-shirt if you are in the mood. Everything goes to help support the podcast and bring you a bigger and better show. So remember, visit www.heybartenderpodcast. And remember, share, like, and subscribe to the show. I would really appreciate it. All right. Hey, man, technology here in Kentucky isn't the top notch. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying out here. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, I always kind of uh, expect it whenever I uh, do these Zoom calls, but... Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, what were we talking about? The, uh, uh, the drink order, uh, taking drinks in the service well, um, 
how the service well bartenders are a completely different kind of bartender. So did you have to deal with like top shelf liquors when you're a bar back or, uh, or a service bartender? Uh, not too many when you're a service well bartender. Um, sometimes we get a high roller, uh, at one of the, in the high limit lounge or something like that, that requests, you know, top shelf liquors, but generally speaking, not much at all. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, honestly, even, out in front, there weren't too many high-end liquors at regular bars in Vegas because they all had gaming, um, and most of the drinks were comped. So they didn't even want that kind of that that kind of liquor on the bar to entice the players to do anything. You know, it, they wanted to try to keep their costs low on the bar. See, that's uh, that's where I started questioning. You know, working behind a uh, the big bar uh, out in the middle of the casino. Because everything's comped, as long as you're sitting at a machine, gambling or you know at a table or something like that, all your drinks are comped. But mm-hmm. uh, and I was wondering uh, if you know there were people that came in and wanted uh, you know top shelf anything, would they have to specifically request uh, request that? Or when they're sitting at the, uh, how often does it, I was just curious, how often does that happen? I mean, uh, it, it happens occasionally. It, it depends on the hotel and, you know, how much you're gambling and everything like that. Um, but now the way Vegas is going, all the hotels pretty much have a high limit or a high end cocktail lounge inside of there. And those people that are playing, you know, those, those, that big money, you know, throwing five, 10 grand into a machine, um, they can afford to go into those high end cocktail lounges too. Yeah. Um, but also the, those kind of players either A, don't drink at all and just drink water while they're gambling, or B, they'll order something neat or just a vodka soda or whatever. They want their Grey Goose and soda, and they, they don't typically get high-end cocktails at all. Uh, um, so no, my, I really can't. Not much call for something like Louis the Fourteenth. <laughs> I have a great story about that. When I was at Caesar's Palace, um, I helped open the uh, lobby bar right there next to the lobby. It was a it was a high end kind of gaming lounge that they had over there. And one night I had this young twenty something kid come through from the high limit lounge, and he wanted Louis the Thirteenth, but he wanted Louis the Thirteenth with red as a mixed drink. Oh dear God! <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you see, our our shots were three hundred fifty dollars a piece. Yeah. And he would throw me $400 every time and set me 50 bucks on every drink. You drink it how you want, buddy. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> all up to you now. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I didn't really care, although it, it kind of hurt me, you know, to <laughs> pour Red Bull over a glass of Louis the 14th. But you know what? Or, or Louis the 13th. Um, but you know what? It, it, it was his deal. And, and that, that was a very rare occasion. Um, a lot of times if there was a gamer that was playing a lot of money, the cocktail waitress would actually contact the manager to get a special liquor, um, approved to go to whatever bar that we were serving. So if they wanted, you know, something special, I don't know, like a Kentucky owl, uh, dry state or a Louis the 13th or a super expensive vodka, they would just bring that bottle to the bar because they wouldn't hop around on their drink. They would just drink that liquor. Yeah. So they just bring that one bottle for that one customer and say that it's okay. 
Uh, uh, it it does make my stomach turn a little bit that he, you know you mix Louis the Thirteenth with uh, Red Bull, but hey, he's paying for it. Yeah. He's tipping you well. Do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, when you get out to the front bars, uh, it might not look all that busy sometimes, but those people that are playing the good money. Um, typically, when you hit something, you know, some sort of big jackpot, they tip you out a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it it was very common for me to get a hundred dollar tip. Um, when I just served like three Bud Lights to this guy, mm. you know, they, they just kind of take care of you or a $20 tip or whatever. And that, that's kind of where you made your money is the regular gamers that actually know how to take care of your bartender when they win. Right. I, uh, um, when I bartended in Oregon, we had, uh, Oregon lottery and we had poker machines. Uh, now they've moved up to poker and slot machines, but, uh, there were five machines in uh, in every bar that I worked at, and any time somebody got a royal flush or was doing reasonably well that particular night, they would tip me a little bit off of what they were, uh, whatever they were gambling. But yeah. you, you could tell the people that weren't doing that well by how many trips they made to the ATM. It, but <laughs> uh, and then you see them win a big jackpot, and then twenty minutes later they go back to the ATM. Those people never tipped. But you could understand nope. that uh, their whole entire paycheck was about to pay for, uh, you know, whatever Oregon Lottery works towards. You know, <laughs> yeah. There was always an unwritten local rule. Like, I mean, every bar in Las Vegas pretty much has gaming in it, not just on the strip, but way off, off the strip too. Right. I mean, it's kind of how a lot of bars make a, some good money, and it was kind of always an unwritten local, old local rule that whenever you hit a jackpot, 10% goes to the bartender. Yes. So if I hit a, you know, if I hit a thousand dollar jackpot, they would get a hundred bucks. If I hit a $4,000 jackpot, 400 bucks would go to the bartender. And it, it was really up to the person and the bartender. I mean, whatever. I mean, you, you throw whatever you want to me and I'll be happy, you know, but it, it was always kind of like an unwritten rule. And if I got an old local that, you know, typically games in Vegas, that's what happened and that's kind of where i made my money yeah i can uh i can see that because that same thing kind of happened to me although the top jackpot you could win in an oregon lottery machine at the time was only 600 bucks so uh but every once in a while you get one of those generous people that would give you 10 percent or even 20 dollars i uh there were times even five bucks i greatly appreciated off of that (laughs) yeah i get that or uh, some Kino winner, you know. Uh, I mm-hmm. one one of my friends. It wasn't my shift. She had a person win a couple thousand dollars on Kino one night, and uh, he were to the point where he had to go to uh, the state lottery commission to get his winnings. Yeah, and he came back a couple days later and gave uh, gave a tip to her for that. And I thought, oh, why doesn't that happen on my shift? But. <laughs> I know. It's always the cocktail witchesses that really make out, right? Right, right. Uh, uh, did you ever have any problem like sensory deprivation or anything like that working in a casino? Uh, with all, because man, I, it, more or less moving out of the casino here in Kentucky, I'm always it, it's so quiet here. <laughs> there's no ding. There's, there's no yelling. There's no screaming. It's so quiet here. You know, mm-hmm. I I did a little video probably. About 8.30 at night on a Friday night from the liquor store that I work at. Now, my liquor store has a drive-thru window, a full-service drive-thru window also. And I was working the drive-thru window. It was 8.30 on a Friday night. And I just did a little video, a panoramic video. There wasn't a freaking car. 
or any noise or nothing that you can see at all. And I, it's just, it really boggles my mind and it's so peaceful here. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, so that sensory deprivation, you don't notice it when you work in there. It just, it just kind of goes away that the, the slot machines that, that all that noise just kind of goes away as you're working there. But man, when you get away from it, you really do notice it. You get a little tinnitus that, that did you notice some tinnitus when you got to Kentucky or anything? <laughs> No, not really. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So I want to hear uh, a good Las Vegas bar story before we move on to uh, what you're doing now. I, I always have this one that I turn to, and I was at the Venetian actually, and I got a young couple that came to my bar, and they were about to get married the next day. It was a holiday weekend of some sort, and they came to my bar. It was probably like two or three o'clock in the morning. Um, and they were feeling good, but they were celebrating and everything. And um, they, they were also foreign. They were from Mexico. So I said, they ordered their drinks. I politely said, yes, can I check both your IDs? One guy didn't have his ID. Now I couldn't serve him. And he gets very irate, starts yelling at me, telling me he's going to call the manager. And he ends up storming off. You know, he's going to find this manager. He leaves his girl there at the bar also with no ID. Well, I can't have someone sitting at my bar with no ID. So I just asked her to move her away. And, I mean, she was polite about it and everything. He comes storming back, yelling at me, telling me, you're going to give me an effing beer and, and this and that, and cursing at me and yelling at me. I said, no, I'm really not going to at all. <laughs> and he ends up picking up another customer's beer, throwing the beer at me out of the beer bottle, and then it was a gentle toss. Uh, in my direction, the beer bottle, it hit my leg and fell to the ground. You know, security made a big deal about that because they watched it all on camera and he walked away again. Well, at this point I, I had called security and I, I told them the whole situation and they said, yeah, yeah, we got him. And, and, and I see him walking backwards with about five or six security guys and a security dog barking at this guy as they're walking backwards towards the back entrance. Yeah. And the guy just keeps saying, you know, just arrest me, just arrest me. We don't want to arrest you. Just leave, you know, just <laughs> peacefully leave. We don't care. No, just arrest me. So he finally started approaching the officers and trying to attack them. Well, that's assault. They finally took him down and everything. Meanwhile, the, the girlfriend disappeared somewhere but I saw her come around the corner and she's fucking videotaping this whole thing laughing the entire time. <laughs> I mean, so you got to think this guy is going to be locked up on a holiday weekend yeah, overnight for God knows how long in a foreign country. And who knows when he's going to be able to see a judge, huh. you know, because they're going to be backed up from the whole thing. My conclusion from that whole episode, he just didn't want to get married. <laughs> You know, I've, I've heard stories of guys that tried not to get married, but that by far is probably the most elaborate. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, there were dogs. He was barking. He, he was cursing at me. I got beer thrown at me. It was, it was a pretty wild ride there. Well, Las Vegas security, though, I figured that you wouldn't have to call security. All you had to do was just look at the ceiling, you know, <laughs> raise oh, I, your hands. I and... kind of did, you know. <laughs> as soon as I did call security, they they were already on it, you know. But. Yeah, uh, that's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, I 
always ask this of people that work in uh, certain areas. Did you ever meet anybody famous while you were working there? Yes. Or- yes. Um, so not while working, but when I was on a search for Great Manhattan, I was actually still in my young years of, of bartending, and I thought that everyone would have a great cocktail in Vegas. Well, that, that's not true. You have to go to the right bars to get a great cocktail in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I went over to um, the Bellagio, and I got a Manhattan. Um, and lo and behold, I hear a voice behind me and it was Nicolas Cage and his wife sitting right there at the, at the, uh, in the, like the lounge area, you know, as a bartender, I'm not going to make a big deal about it. I'm not going to go over and shake his hand or anything like that, but that's pretty cool. Me being this close to Nicolas Cage right now. Well, before I finished my Manhattan, probably about four people tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, 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 can, can you take a picture with, with me and Nicolas Cage for me? And, I mean, I'm gracious. I took a picture, you know, but this happened like three or four times and I'm getting kind of freaking annoyed. Well, I finished my second Manhattan and I just waited, you know, Nicolas Cage and I said, all right, hey, thank you very much. I'm just going to get out of here. He said, no, no, no. And this is, I, and I quote, you should at least come over here and sit down for a drink and for all that bullshit that you had to pull up with. <laughs> okay. You know, absolutely. He had a bottle of Johnny Walker blue and a couple of bottles of red something on it, you know, some sort of red wine. And yeah. I sat down and we, we had a few drinks together and uh, I hung out with Nicholas Cage for the afternoon. That's awesome. <laughs> it was, it, it, you know, it's funny because Everyone says, you know, was he really weird or anything? I said, well, no, he's rich, so he's very eccentric. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if he's drinking Johnny Walker yeah. Blue, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, no, he, he was a great guy, though. He was a good guy to sit down with and uh, have a conversation with, and he was nice and gracious and all that stuff. Yeah. Every time anyone took a picture with him, he would send a round of drinks to that table. Oh, really? Very gracious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he was a really nice guy when he was out in public. Yeah, As, yeah. Unfortunately, I never got to meet anybody famous, so I live vicariously through you guys when I bring you onto my show. So, <laughs> yeah. but that would be cool to uh, meet Nicholas Cage like that. But uh, not being a fanboy, uh, uh, managed to get you to uh, time to hang out with him. That be that's that actually is really cool. Instead of trying yeah, to take no. a, uh, do a selfie with him behind you or something like that, and. Yeah, I, I, I really tried not to fanboy because I mean you'd you'd see famous people all the time and. They don't want all that if they're going to a bar. They just want to be treated like a regular person. Sure. Um, one other encounter, and it wasn't a super famous person or anything, but uh, Chuck Pagano, when okay. he was coaching, he's the ch- coach of the um, of the Colts. Oh, okay. Back when, back when the Patriots and the Colts had that Deflate Gate game, and there was the deflation of the football and all that stuff. Um, he was actually sitting at my bar the weekend right after that. And I was working <laughs> with a bartender called Boston Mike at Caesars Palace at a bar that's not lo- no longer open. Well, Boston Mike had a Patriots bottle opener on him. And he said, hey, Dan, watch this. I said, no, don't, don't. Come on. He, he's just lost the worst game of his entire career on this, you know. No, don't do it. No, I'm going to do it. So he finally goes over. He says, hey, Chuck, look at this. And he flashes his Patriots bar you know, bar bottle opener to him. And, you know, that, that gets a whole conversation going. And, uh, <laughs> Chuck, he was very gracious. He was a friendly guy and everything. We had a whole conversation. 
me, I'm a big Patriots fan, originally from Boston, just grew up outside of uh, Foxborough Stadium. And uh, yeah, we had a whole conversation about that whole game. And that, that was probably that was probably a bigger moment than the Nicholas Cage moment for me because I am a big football fan. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I'm, uh, I've never been a sports fanatic, and I thought for a long time that was going to hurt my bartending career because, you know, when you think about bars, people, you know, well, you see sports bar after sports bar after sports bar. But I can talk your ear off all day about the Beatles or, you know, <laughs> music in general. You know, you want to talk about yeah. the Beatles, Billy Joel, Metallica? Yeah, I'll prepare for at least a half-hour lecture. But uh, I found a lot of my customers started to realize that after a while. But uh, when it came to sports, I'm just like, eh. <laughs> yeah. So you, you like Metallica, no? Yeah, yes. So a, a recent question came up, and my wife is rolling her eyes at me right now. <laughs> um, I, I saw a uh, post on there that Metallica is now classified as classic rock. Uh, How do you feel about that? Well, I, I've been complaining about that with my friends and family for the last couple of weeks. Oh uh, uh, it, it actually wasn't uh, Metallica that, because uh, I've been a Metallica fan for a long time. Uh, yeah, you know, I saw them twice in concert. Uh, I think I was I started being a fan of theirs from And Justice for All up, even though uh, Master of Puppets is my favorite album of all time. But um, uh, it was just... Maybe three weeks ago here, uh, I live in Texas, and I've got the classic rock station on at work uh, while I'm driving around my work truck, and all of a sudden Nirvana comes on. And I'm like, smells like Teen Spirit is on a classic rock channel now? (laughs) That was on when I was in high school. (laughs) Right? And it's not classic rock. That's more punk, I guess, if anything. (laughs) I mean, classic rock, the Eagles, the Stones. Yeah. You know, that. There's a certain sound to classic rock, you know, and oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it ages you a little bit. Uh, the last podcast or last interview, I brought my friend uh, back for a second podcast, and she and I joked about that a little bit. And she, she, I was, uh, I mentioned how I heard Nirvana on a classic rock station, and she goes, "Oh, you're not in trouble until you hear your your music that you like in an elevator." And because uh, oh, she, uh, I, she's, I could just see Master of Puppets coming on, you know, <laughs> played on a classical <laughs> piano or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, my my wife just interjected right now with with a few other people that I've kind of run into in Vegas too. Oh um, sure, Snoop Dogg, Bobby Flay, and OJ Simpson. Did you get a contact high from Snoop Dogg? No, uh, <laughs> he was actually promoting. Uh, where is it? He was promoting his cachaça, and I got him to sign a bottle, and it was just a quick meet and greet. Oh, okay. Um, uh, the O.J. Simpson story is actually kind of a funny story. I was setting up for a uh, a nonprofit uh, kind of charity event mm-hmm. over at the Palms, and I was taking out one of those big uh, lamp heaters that you know they have at parties and whatnot, and uh, I was pulling one out. And all of a sudden, I get knocked over by this guy, and it was O.J. Simpson. He was coming down the, the uh, stairwell, and he knocked me over, and he picked me up and, you know, pat me on the – oh, sorry, brother, you know. <laughs> and him and about four or five other guys come following up. Lo and behold, I'm watching the news the next morning. O.J. Simpson is arrested for uh, 
armed robbery at the Palace Station Hotel. He that was night. And going to get his shit. Over. <laughs> yeah, that night, he knocked me over. <laughs> oh, his mind was on other things. And, he just didn't that, see that you. Was, <laughs> That's... Yeah, no, I was, I was just kind of setting up, and he, yeah, he knocked me over in, in the back hallway. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then Bobby Flay, I. You know who Bobby Flay is? Oh, yeah, yeah. Cook, Food Network, Iron so, Chef. Uh, yeah. I've actually, I've run into him twice. There was a United States Bartender Guild meeting at one of his newer restaurants over at the Aria. And I got him to sign a huge uh, kind of sign I brought to the meeting. It said, good food, good times. And he signed it for me. And wow. then I was over at the Palms again. And I run into him just at a regular bar. And, you know, just had a quick little conversation. It, it, it's kind of the place to just kind of run into people, you know? Yeah. Everybody goes to Vegas at least once or twice in their lives or, you know, a year sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, but anyways, yeah. No, she just interjected with those other few. And, <laughs> I mean, there, there are so many interactions that I've had that I've kind of just forgotten about. You know, I've, I've run into Paris Hilton a few times when she was over at um, – when she was over at Dre's inside the uh, Barbary Coast, or it was Bill's Gambling Hall at the time. Oh, okay, um, yeah. So, again, you know, just, just left and right, you kind of just run into people there, and it, it's not really a big deal at, at one point, you know? Yeah. Uh, the best I can say when I was in Las Vegas is uh, I was at, I was just wandering the casinos and uh, walked into Planet Hollywood and played a couple tables there, and all of a sudden I see this huge group of people walking in a straight line right through the center of the casino. And in the middle of that group is Britney Spears. And, oh, shit. <laughs> and then of course, uh, me being the type of guy I am, I'm sitting there wondering if it, is it worth it getting my arm broke off if I try to reach out, but <laughs> <laughs> because the guys that this guys that were standing around her were like two or three times my size. You know? And yeah. Yeah. She always had a lot of security around her and, I guess she had a lot of rules that she was be that were put on her if she was going to have her residency there at Planet Hollywood too. Oh, really? Like she she couldn't be out drinking, she couldn't be out partying like she normally does. She she had a lot of rules put on her if she was going to have that residency over at Planet Hollywood. Yeah, I didn't understand why she was going through the center to the casino, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> You have to get from point A to point B one way or another, right? Yeah. Now uh, another. Uh, I'm sorry. I keep asking questions about Las Vegas, but, um, for, no, I love it for me as the average tourist, uh, you have it, uh, you know, like, uh, Danny ocean said in oceans 11 casinos are built like labyrinths to keep people in. And do they have an easier way for the employees to get around? No, no, <laughs> no, no. We, we just learned the layout good enough. Uh, that way we can get, to point A to point B a lot easier, but man, even underground, I mean, it's a little simpler when you're underneath the casino in the employee area, but the hallways are never ending. I mean, they, they go fully straight forever. I mean, we learn the back ways, we learn the back doors and everything like that, but there really is no good way to get out. So after standing around for an eight hour shift, did you wish you had a segue to get from point A to point B or? Sometimes. Yeah, no, Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it, at times when I was working at the Venetian, at times it would, it would take you 10 minutes to get down to the employee dining room. 
You know, it would take you a good little long time to actually walk from point A to point B. And that's at a pretty good clip, too. Yeah. You know, you're power walking at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry, but I got to get back to behind the bar. I got to run. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but again, since it was union, you have a full hour for your lunch break. Oh, nice. So, I mean, you, you didn't have to run all that hard, you know, uh, yeah. you, you could kind of take your time, but. Okay. So uh, moving up to the present now, you said because of COVID. You decided you, uh, you, you and your family decided that you had uh, uh, enough of Vegas for now, at least. And mm-hmm. uh, so, what uh, what made you uh, what made you change jobs, get out of bartending, and uh, start talking about whiskeys and or collecting whiskey? And... Well, I've I've always been kind of interested in spirits in general, mm-hmm. and brown spirits have always been one of the passions of mine. Um, in August, I actually took a road trip from Vegas to Kentucky and I rented the car and drove all the way out to Kentucky. It took me, uh, two days. I, I slept somewhere halfway in between for about four hours, got back in my car and continued on my way. <laughs> and I spent a whole week in Kentucky and, uh, and everyone thinks it's crazy and it really is. Um, but I spent the whole week and it was the most beautiful August week that Kentucky has ever seen. The first time I'm there, of course, right? right. <laughs> um, there's no humidity. It was like 75 degrees, you know, nice and chilly in the morning, nice and warm in the afternoon kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked. At, I, I told my wife I kind of wanted to move to Kentucky, and she just went on Zillow, tried to figure out where the affordable housing was and everything like that. And we found a, we found our house. Uh, we were able to sell our house in Vegas for quite a bit of money because we bought during the dip and we made quite a bit of equity in it. And uh, we bought a house in cash here in Kentucky. Uh, it's in Owensboro, Kentucky. So it's a little further west, about two hours uh, west of where all the bourbons really made mm-hmm. out in Bardstown and Lexington and, you know, all those storage towns. Um, but man, it, it's just so quiet and peaceful here. Yeah. And uh, we, we really saw Vegas changing a lot during covid because a lot of the hotels started lowering their room rates and like to really dirt cheap to try to get people in but it just kind of attracts the wrong crowd yeah i saw read a couple um, news articles about that fights. yeah yeah uh, and, uh, and it, it it really changed las vegas and we were really not enjoying ourselves i mean i i did have a great job i didn't enjoy it but it was a great paying job um, my wife had been out of work for a while, um, just because of COVID, she couldn't find any work at all. And we, we decided we needed a big change. We, we needed to change the way thing, we were doing things. And, uh, six months into it, sure. We're struggling a little bit. We don't know anybody here, but at the same time, we're a lot happier than yeah. we were. Well, that's the important thing. Um, yeah. so what exactly are you doing right now? Uh, currently I'm actually working for a chain in, um, in Kentucky called liquor barn. It's a liquor store mm-hmm. and I'm kind of the store's spirit specialist. You know, I, I mean, I, I kind of know my stuff when it comes to spirits Sure. and, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just working every day or five days a week over there, 40 hours a week, uh, for a liquor store. I'm getting ready to take on a new job in management at, uh, one of the restaurants here that pays significantly more. Bartending is so bartending across the US, the federal minimum wage is only two dollars and thirteen cents an hour. Right. And that's what Kentucky 
Kentucky does. That's what Boston did. And I, I can't work for that after working in Las Vegas, you know? No. Uh, especially so when you get back, especially when your tips are going to probably average between a hundred and, uh, and $200 a night at the, uh, that'd yeah. be tough to live on. I mean, year round, I mean, as you know, Vegas goes into their ups and downs, their dips and pools and year round, my average was a hundred dollars a night from 500 bucks to 30 bucks at the end of the year. My average was about a hundred bucks a night that I worked for in Vegas. Mm. Um, Tips are not bad in Kentucky from what I'm told. Mm. Um, But what it is, is it's the hourly rate. It's the insurance that people can't offer. It's all those securities that I enjoyed as a bartender in Vegas Mm. that just aren't offered here in Kentucky. So I'm going to get back to my roots. Um, I do have my bachelor's degree in culinary arts and uh, I'm going to start managing for a restaurant and try to get some of that stuff going. So now being a spirit specialist, uh, you know, people can walk up to you and say, I'm looking for this type of, uh, this type of liquor. What are your suggestions? Uh, and I'm on huh? this kind of budget. So, huh? uh, it's like uh, given uh, like a exam- best example I can think of right off the cuff. Uh, I'm looking for a whiskey, uh, a little bit on the smoky side. I've got forty bucks on me. I'm tired of Jack Daniels. Uh, yeah. What would you suggest? Um, actually, there's a company called MB Bowen. <coughs> they do a fire smoked kind of whiskey. It's a, it's a little more expensive than the. Um, then you know, 40 bucks, it's probably more in the 50 or $60 range, but it's going to hit all those notes far out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd probably go through our spirits section and kind of point out different wines and explain to them the history, or not just the history, but the flavor profiles that go into it at that price point that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny here in Kentucky, people are really about their Kentucky bourbon though. Yeah. Uh, I, we have Woodenville. I don't, uh, Woodenville is one of the most storied outside of Kentucky whiskeys right now, nowadays. Uh, but because it's made in Washington, everyone's passing it by. <laughs> um, we, we have a, one of the number one whiskeys, according to Whiskey Advocate, was the uh, Dickel Baldwin Bond. But people are passing it by, and I've had someone say to this, I'm not going to buy it. It says Tennessee on the label. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, okay. People, people are really about their Kentucky whiskey, and it, it's it gets a little tough for me because I'm an all spirits lover, mm. from gin to tequila to rum to you know I, I love all spirits, and people are really just zoned in and focused on their Kentucky bourbon here for good reason, right? right. Well, uh, sorry to get off the t- Kentucky bourbon version, but I just have to ask, uh, being well, you and I being Metallica fans, I do have a yeah. bottle of a uh, blackened uh, Metallica's whiskey. Yeah. Do you have one of those? I don't. I haven't heard great things about it. I, I haven't I heard anything it. about it. But <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I tasted it. It's okay. It's not something I'd snub at. And but I I haven't read too many good reviews about it. Mm. Yeah, it's just another one of those things Metallica decided to invest in, which I kind of think is funny since they all seem to be talking about clean uh, cleaning up. And James has gone through rehab two or three times, and, <laughs> and now they're investing in whiskey. I, I think that I I think it's that whole thing. Like after the Garage Days album, or the garage album i think that's where they became like a classic rock band you know they kind of slowed down their whole style and everything 
I tend to listen to all the albums pre Garage Days, you know. <laughs> now Garage Days, uh, gr- not Garage Days, right. not Garage Inc. Garage, like, whatever it was. I bef- mean, when, before when Jason Newstead. Yeah, before Jason Newstead joined the band. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, the the Black Album, Kill 'Em All, you know, Ride the Lightning. Yeah, uh, Faster Puppets. That's what I remember Metallica as. Right. And uh, then all of a sudden, they Bob Rock started changing them up a little bit. Don't even get me started about the Saint Anger album, but uh, yeah. again, I stopped following them after that. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of, I kind of stuck in those kind of four albums. Well, just uh, in the off, very, very off chance that they may be listening to this podcast, I will stick up for them on their uh, on their most recent albums, uh, Hardwired to Self Self Destruct. It actually feels like it's taking it back to like the Master of Puppets days, uh, type of stuff. No kidding. Uh, uh, right. just, just so I can kiss their ass a little bit, I guess. <laughs> but no, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind trying to listen to them again. But yeah, I've really stuck with those last, the first four albums. Oh you know? sure, yeah. Um, because <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I jumped on. Uh, everybody thinks I jumped on the bandwagon. Uh, when uh the black album came out, but really when right around uh, where justice was popular. I, that's where I jumped on because I was learning how yeah. to play the drums at the time. And I really, really wanted to learn how to play one. And so, uh, yeah, I was, I listened to that one constantly just so I could do the double bass thing right in the middle of the song. That, that was awesome. But, uh, I did have to learn the black album stuff yeah. cause that's what everybody knew when I played, you know, when my band went up and we just wanted to get, um, other high school kids pumped up. We knew they knew Enter Sandman, so we'd play it. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, anyway. Yeah, and it was funny uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I took a English class that we needed to recite poetry, and they said we could recite, you know, a song because a song is technically poetry, and it was Enter Sandman that I recited. I I had an English teacher do that to me too, but I think I uh, ended up reciting the lyrics to Purple Haze. I I don't oh, I don't think she liked that. <laughs> oh man! I mean that that's a classic. Yeah, <laughs> it was the first song that popped into my head, and uh, out of you know out of nowhere. I mean Jimmy, I was listening to Jimi Hendrix at the time, but uh, but yeah, she said uh, recite poetry. So I thought, uh, see, Purple Haze are in my brain, and and uh, but she uh, had uh, she gave me a lecture on with the finger pointing saying that it had to do with drug abuse. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> of course, you know, they're, they're teaching us a lot in those songs. <laughs> he did it. So I don't have to. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. So, um, uh, your plans for the future, you're going to, uh, start, uh, getting back into restaurants. Yeah. Get back into restaurants, start managing. I mean, I would love to make enough money to actually open my own place out here. It, it really is set, you know, 10 or 20 years in the, in, in the past out here. You know, they, they really aren't progressive with much. Uh, they have one restaurant here in Owensboro that actually makes great cocktails. Um, other than that, it's just going to be a regular barn shot kind of bar. Um, of course, a lot of them have a great whiskey selection. And uh, I mean, a lot of the barn shop bars have great people behind the bar, but sometimes I really want that great cocktail too sure um 
Right? There are so many locations in Vegas that have those great cocktails that can be dive bars too. And uh, you, you don't find that here in Kentucky at all. So I would like to progress it a little bit, but again, I would need an investor. I, I, there's a lot of things going behind opening a bar, you know? Oh, sure. And in Kentucky, you don't get your margaritas in those yard-long plastic... Uh... <laughs> no, I mean, I, again, I, I'm very I'm very stubborn with my classic cocktails, you know? I mean, a daiquiri isn't a big frozen red drink, you know? It, it's, it comes in a coupe, it's just lime juice, sweet and sour, lime juice, simple syrup, and rum. Yeah. And the margarita is kind of the same thing. Three ingredients, your triple sec, your lime juice, and your tequila maybe a little sweet and sour if you wanted a little sweeter, but not much more, you know? <laughs> um, what kind of bartender are you? Do you, pref- do you prefer the pour spouts, the jiggers, or uh, uh, what's your method of pouring? So uh, I, I find the pour spouts, uh, I definitely have my countdown to a quarter ounce. Mm. Um, I, I can I, I can pour a quarter ounce without even thinking about it. I can pour and two and a half ounces without even thinking about it. Um, Jiggers I always use when it comes to multi-ingredient cocktails just because you want that perfect balance and for what they're actually thinking about. So I, I go back and forth. I, I use the jigger, but it's not really needed for mixed drinks or something simple like a margarita I, in my experience. Have you ever um, had to deal with a bubble pour? A, bu- a bubble what? A bubble pour spout. They've got that little ball in it, so it uh, when it thinks that it yes. reaches a shot, and then yes. it's supposed to click. And I freaking hate those. <laughs> <laughs> that means you're a real bartender. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely hate those. I mean, I, I've, I've gotten pretty good at just pouring it straight out of the bottle without a pourer also. You know, I, I usually pour two to two and a half ounces just straight out of the bottle. Uh, it, without any problem, I can pour an ounce and a half straight out of the bottle without any pours. Um, it, it's harder to do those smaller quantities uh, accurately. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I, I've just been pouring that good ounce and a half to two and a half ounces pretty accurately. Yeah, one bar I worked at, they decided to integrate that, and uh, I got tired of them within two hours of my first shift. Uh and yeah. these aren't, they don't work correct. Well, you're pouring it wrong. You're not holding it right. And I'm like, no, I'm doing fine. Or especially after a week of pouring something thick like Bailey's uh, out of a bubble pour, <laughs> mm-hmm. then they're pretty much useless. And, and I mean, that, that's the thing. Not every liquor pours exactly the same. Yeah. You know I mean? Some of the liqueurs pour a lot slower than some of your vodkas or gins, rums, or anything like that. Um, I find it's not even a count even it, it, you got to kind of feel the bubble. I, it sounds funny, but at those bubbles coming out of the end of the pour, when you turn the bottle upside down, you kind of feel that in your hand. You just kind of know about how much is in that glass at that point. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, it's more of a feel than anything else. Yeah. I, I even hadn't been bartending for very long and I, I'd turn it over click. That didn't feel right. And, and yeah exactly you know i mean it, it's really a feel i mean bartending schools always teach a count you know you got to count to three or you got to count to seven or you got to get your own count i i lost the count a long time ago and I, it's more of a feel than anything else mm-hmm. yeah the, uh, the, they taught me to count to four uh and that's okay a perfect shot and uh I, but everyone counts to four differently you know one two three four and that's not a full shot right. one two 
three, four, you'll, you'll get better, you know? So it, it's different for everybody. Yeah, exactly. But you, yeah, like you said, you develop your own feel for it and it all works out. Well, yeah. um, yeah. anyway, um, before we, uh, close up here uh is there anything you want to promote do you, uh i mean talk about something you want to promote or tell people where they can find you on uh, social media or instagram so i i just my instagram is las vegas period bartender um i i, I post a lot of whiskeys lately that i find from my bourbon hunting I, i'll do a few cocktails here and there been slowing down on social media a little bit um i did just start a tiktok um, and that's Las Vegas Doc Bartender, but with an underscore at the end of it. Uh, there, there's another large uh, TikTok account with my same Instagram name. Mm. Um, so it, it's easy to get those confused. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just keep chugging along and I, I've really been slowing down my life. I, just, I was just interviewed uh, by Chilled Magazine uh, for influencers on Instagram. Oh, cool. And they give me about 10 questions. The article should be coming out in the next issue or two. Um, and they, they asked me a whole bunch of how I grew my Instagram account. And although I know how to do it, I haven't been doing it properly lately. You know, <laughs> it, it hasn't really been a focus of my life since moving to Kentucky. I've, I've really been focusing on my family and really just trying to get the hustle and bustle out of me. Well, okay, people, it is last call, last call for alcohol. Come on up to the bar, pick yourself something up nice, and if you're lucky, I won't say something smart, Alec, to you. Special thanks to Daniel Caveney for being on the show. It was great having the show. Those stories that he was telling, weren't they awesome? I mean, get to hang out with Nicolas Cage and all that sort of thing. That's just super cool. If you want to know more about uh, Daniel... Just follow him on Instagram. Go to at lasvegas.bartender and go check out all the stuff that he posts on there. A lot of pictures of drinks, uh, uh, drink recipes, whiskey, stuff that he tries. Because this guy is an authority on this sort of thing. So go check him out and follow him right now. As usual, i got to extend a thank you to Laura Hope and the Arctones. You guys got to follow her. Her music is just really fucking, just really cool. And I also want to remind you guys, uh, share, like, and subscribe to Hey Bartender Podcast. Tell your friends about it. And if you want to uh, pick up some Hey Bartender Podcast stuff, go head on over to www.heybartenderpodcast.com. I got t-shirts for sale. You can catch up on old episodes. You can uh, listen to new episodes. Uh, it's all it's all there on heybartenderpodcast.com. Also, if you want to contact me in any way, shape, or form, best way to do it, is uh, my email address, dude at heybartenderpodcast.com. Follow me on Instagram or Facebook. Both of those are Hey Bartender Podcast. DM me a message. Tell me a drink recipe. If you want to be on the show, tell me that. If you are a music group and you want your music to be heard on my show, all you have to do is send me an email and I will make it happen for you. I love talking to all you people. You guys are just really awesome and every single bartender out there has their own story. And, you know, that's what it's all about. You know, it's uh, Every time I do one of these shows, like when I was talking to Daniel just now, it's like sitting in a diner late at night or sitting uh, at somebody's garage and just talking about your day and swap stories. It's a lot of fun and you know share a couple drink recipes so you can take it into your own bar and uh, 
it's it's just really fun for me. So if you're a bartender, server, whatever, and you have some cool stories and you want to talk about them on this podcast, email me, dude at heybartenderpodcast.com or reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook, both of those, Hey Bartender Podcast. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, as usual, I just want to wish you all lots of love, lots of sex, lots of happiness, and don't take any shit from anyone. Good night. What do you mean it's let's go? I just got here.